Welcome to the New Thinking for a New World podcast, where we explore the most pressing issues that are challenging and changing our societies. We are looking for new thinking and new solutions wherever we can find them. Listen as host Alan Stoga, the Talberg Foundation's chairman, challenges his guests for analysis, ideas and actions. Together, we can help make our world at least a bit better. Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro is a founding member of what might be called would-be autocrats who achieve power through the ballot box. Members include Donald Trump, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, Daniel Ortega, maybe Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador of Mexico. Hugo Chavez is a member of their Hall of Fame. Trump's defeat slowed the anti-democratic momentum somewhat, and now Bolsonaro is facing his own election possible re-election in October 2022. Reading from Trump's script, he has already threatened to ignore the voting results if he doesn't like them, signal that he can imagine using military power to stay in power, and has leaned heavily on the country's judiciary to give him what he wants. What is democracy's future in Brazil? Can Bolsonaro bully his way into re-election? Why does Brazil's political stability seem shaky? And most importantly, what do the Brazilian people actually want? Sergio Amaral is a card-carrying member of Sao Paulo's policy elite. As a top Brazilian diplomat and policy advisor, he has worked closely with presidents and other politicians and has an insider's perspective on how his country actually works. Welcome, Sergio. I'm happy to join you at this podcast. And I'm also happy to congratulate you by the work you have been doing with Thalberg. Indeed, I have been following that since the beginning. And what you got is amazing. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much for that. I think these are important times and Thalberg can play a role. And it's exactly conversations like the one we're about to have that I think are so important to make sure, first, that they occur, second, that they point towards solutions, and third, that as many people as possible hear them. So let me start with a very simple, very unfair question. Do you think Jair Bolsonaro believes in democracy? I don't believe he believes in democracy. He believes in re-election. And this is what he's been trying from the beginning. Since he was elected, he was always thinking about re-election. And... uh, at the beginning, he was thinking about re-election as a democratic election. But things moved. His approval rate declined. And to the extent that his approval rate declined, and just to give you a figure, he had a 54% approval rate. He came down to... 35, then 29, then 27, now it's 24. Just for a comparison, you may remember that Trump has always kept an approval rate above 37%. Bolsonaro now is 24. And he realizes that uh, his approval rate at this level does not ensure a real democratic 
a re-election. So he is changing. And what does that mean? First of all, he's criticizing the political parties, even his own party. He has no political party. Then he criticized Congress. Then he criticized the members of his government. Then he opposed the judiciary because the judiciary started to put a stop in some of his offenses or violations of rules. Then he started to engage the military, the same attempt that Trump made to engage the U.S. military on his side. And now he is provoking the military police, the state military police, in order to create an atmosphere of unrest that might justify his attempt to engage the military on his side. So let me ask a question here. Um, You've already made the comparison between Bolsonaro and Donald Trump. Uh, and that Bolsonaro, to some extent, may be following the Trump path. The difference being that the Trump path ultimately didn't work. Presumably, Bolsonaro doesn't want to end up like Trump. He wants somehow to succeed. So what are, how does he avoid Trump's fate that at the end of the day, the institutions in the United States actually worked? And that's why Joe Biden is president and Donald Trump is former president. How strong are your institutions? I think the institutions show to be stronger than anyone might have expected. Congress voted two or three weeks ago against his proposal for a constitutional amendment to allow the change of the vote. It takes from Trump also the idea that elections under the present rules are a fraud. And he says uh, the electronic vote is a fraud. And the contrary, it is a big success. So the institutions are resisting uh, Bolsonaro's attempt to create an atmosphere that would justify military intervention. Again, similar what did Trump, with the difference that the U.S. military were much more uh, convinced or much more firm in their respect to the Constitution. What are the changes for Bolsonaro to succeed? I think at this point in time, with 24% of approval rate, I don't think he is likely to win an election, mainly because you have to face a very popular leader, which is Lula. And this is one of the reasons why Bolsonaro changed so quickly to resort to the military to intervene. I don't think he will get the support of the military, as Trump, as well as Trump could not have the support of the U.S. military, because there is a new figure 
there is a new development. And this development is perhaps the most important feature of what's going on. That is society. Let me push back, though, just just uh, quickly. There are something in excess of 6,000 serving or retired military officers in public office. One of the hallmarks of the Bolsonaro government um, is that it is a military government in many ways already. At least half a dozen cabinet members, uh, the vice president, um, many officers, many senior civil servants are in fact military officers. Uh, and that has, that's unusual in Brazil. It's unusual in a democracy. Uh, but those, I'll put it as a question. Do those militaries that are in power now already have a vested interest in staying in power? And is that, can that be done democratically? Uh, the military now uh, go in the direction of uh, considerable ambiguity. The, as always, retired military, like coups, military coups, now the military in service, the military which are not working for the government, but are doing their duties as military. They are concerned and I am I think they are reluctant to play Bolsonaro's game. Why? Because they learned during the military rule in Brazil that the image of the military deteriorated substantially. It took them twenty years to recover the image, and they succeeded. Sometime before Bolsonaro, they have achieved almost 70% of approval rate as an institution. And I think they are not prepared to throw this capital into the basket. And I think they are very uh, taking very seriously what uh, uh, duties for the Brazilian society and for the constitution are. The second point element that's also a very important point is that uh, in Latin America, as in many places around the world, uh, politics moves in waves. If you take the 60s and 70s, there were 15 military coups. Now, you may have two or three cases, if so. Why? Because the model changed. Anti-democratic approach changed. Instead of military coups, you have the erosion of democracy, as you mentioned in many cases. Populist governments don't need a coup. They just uh, engage or they change the rules by an erosion of democracy, by progressively taking power from the press, by progressively reducing the capacity of uh, the judiciary. And that's what's at stake 
and that's what is going on in Brazil now. It is a determined and progressive policy to weaken democracy, not necessarily to make a coup, a military coup. The real question probably ought to be, is Brazilian society healthy? Do the people respect the forms and practices of democracy? And most importantly, do they think government can still deliver on the social contract that, after all, made Brazil one of the faster-growing, more modernizing countries in the global south? Um, You raised two or three different issues which are important. First of all, the election by Bolsonaro was a unique case. Like Trump, he resorted to social media. Like Trump, he divided the country, he polarized, he radicalized. And he created his core group of uh, uh, defenders, of followers who work like a militia, not as a political party. Uh, I don't think this scenario is there again, because uh, the country had a chance to try something new, to try something different, and the country is not happy what's going on. The approval rate by Bolsonaro is an example of that. So I don't think that uh, Bolsonaro may succeed in an election. Now, he's trying a different approach, which is democratic erosion. I think that uh, his trick did not work. And what he created is something against him, because society is fed up with the present situation. It doesn't trust Bolsonaro any longer. Of course, he has his own group of uh, activists, of militia. uh, But uh, overall, society has decided that things are not going well. Let's take these problems in our hands. And so you have a group of very important businessmen, Brazilians and foreign investors, who signed the document and delivered this document to President Bolsonaro saying that the present policies in the area of environment jeopardize the opportunities for investment. Then you have a group of intellectuals who also made a public statement saying that Bolsonaro is uh, eroding Brazilian democracy. Then you have a group of former uh, heads of central banks who make write a manifesto in favor of democracy. Then you have all the former ministers of the environment say, okay, the backbone of Brazilian economy is the agribusiness, but with your policies in the area of the environment, you destroy agribusiness. So society is building up a barrage a containment of uh, uh, Bolsonaro. And I don't think 
the military would ever intervene if they don't have society on their side. That's what happened in 64. And the military could intervene, a coup d'etat. It's a it was a different period of time, but they have society on their side. And society asked for the military to intervene. This doesn't exist now. Let's assume that that is the case, that the military is, as you've said, smart enough to understand their role and to stay in their lane, and that the democratic process proceeds with bumps, stops, and starts, but it proceeds. If you were, and I'll ask an extremely unfair question, you're the next finance minister of Brazil after the election, whoever wins, what are the two, three, four things you would do to bring Brazil back, which is clearly what's needed? I think that a new finance minister should have two basic concerns. One is to restore credibility of Brazilian fiscal policy and put the economy on the right track. But at the same time, this new economy would have to take into account two new realities. One of them is the level of uh, inequality. It has been increased. Brazilian society went to a very difficult period due to the pandemia. There was suffering. And it's a very high price, a high price, high cost to pay if we don't make the best of this opportunity to change once forever our policies in the area of uh, inequalities, to take into account that uh, good and sound macroeconomic policies do not necessarily imply deteriorating our social indicators. And the second point, almost as important as this one, would be the respect for climate, climate issues, commitment to fighting the wrong climate policies. That a few years ago, and I was very much involved in these issues of uh, environment and climate. I was the vice minister for the environment. The, the, the business community is, was reluctant because they thought that the environment increasing the costs of production. And now, on the contrary, it is the business community that says we cannot avoid changing. Brazil has to resume the leadership it had since the ECHO conference in '92. This leadership is the best way out of the situation we are of its isolation now. So I think a new economic policy should be sound policy from an economic point of view, but should not deteriorate inequality and should not be against the fight for climate. If you feel that the world lacks global leaders, please help support the Talberg Foundation programs. Individual donations are being accepted at talbergfoundation.org slash donate.
That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org slash donate. You've mentioned climate by definition. Uh, The rest of the world wants Brazil to do more uh, to protect the Amazon and may or may not be willing to pay for it. Uh, There is a huge financial question involved in this. Uh, What do you think can be done yet under this government? Because the climate is not going to wait for a year or two years. I, I would start by saying that there is nothing we can wait from Bolsonaro. It's like Dante Alighieri at the third level, when he says, Voi che entrate, lasciate ogni esperanza. You that come, forget about any hope. But, again, society... You make me look like an, you make me look like an optimist, which is very hard to do, Sergio. <laughs> because uh, there is nothing you can expect for a government that denies, is the denial approach, that denies the importance of the environment, that denies that Brazil has taken policies which have promoted deforestation and who does not support policies to reduce deforestation or to control the uh, climate change. The former minister, uh, would go up to a point in which we had a foreign uh, a environment minister who was against the protection of the environment. Uh, I think that Brazil could move very quickly as soon as Bolsonaro changes, which I think is out of question, or I think uh, at the moment he may leave the government. Because uh, We are, by nature, a leader of this project and of this movement. We have a very big forest, we still have. We have a a society which is committed to the environment. And we can influence the process as we used to do. So I think we we may change very quickly. And that we should not think and I think we do not, that uh, we would move because we are being financed. We have to move because it is in our interest. The main problem with Brazilian environmental policy is that we have to appropriate ourselves of the Amazon. We have to think about the Amazon as one of the most important riches, as one uh, something that Brazil owns and which is very positive for the country. When you think about research, when you think about investment, when you think about Brazil's place in the world, and when you think about the contribution that Brazil can give in this area. So I think there are very good reasons for Brazil to be a leader in this area. Of course, being a leader, we will negotiate the rules of the game. And I also think that uh, uh, rich countries should have in their own interest to uh, contribute to an overall effort. But uh, there are many ways to discuss this. 
and that we should take part in this discussion having much more power, much more weight, instead of being a barrier in the world society, being against the one of the most important steps or ideas or projects of our times. The environment or climate is the utopia of the 21st century, as the social issues were the utopia of our generation. We cannot fight it. We cannot be against it. We have to help this going in the direction of good results. As we near the end of this conversation, I want to take advantage of your diplomatic history, as well as your engagement in the trade world vis-a-vis China. You know a lot about China. You know a lot about the Chinese relationship with Brazil and with, with other countries. How, how do you see that relationship evolving? What are the opportunities? The present situation is also singular because Bolsonaro opened up a fight with the China and opposed and confronted our biggest client. Uh, 70% of the agribusiness exports and uh, also metals go to China. And uh, Bolsonaro out of the blues opening up a fight with China. Now, after too much pressure from the agribusiness, he's moderating his role. I think the important thing, Alan, is that Brazil has no reason to think about its relations with the United States, who are traditionally, traditionally very good. Uh, and uh, uh, our relations with China, which are more recent, but which play a role in our economy as exclusive, they are both of them very important countries for Brazil. What I think is that uh, we are starting a new period, a new chapter, which will be very different from that of uh, Trump, because uh, Biden says very often, instead of threats, we have to build alliances. I don't know whether he will succeed, because these events in Afghanistan showed that it may be difficult to, to go in the direction of an alliance. I think that um, uh, what is interesting is that uh, they may go towards a confrontation, China and the United States. But differently from the Cold War, there are many areas and growing areas for cooperation between China and the United States. Take the example of uh, uh, the environment. Are the Chinese sincere? I don't know. Perhaps they are in their own interest. But they are going to work together. And they are going to work together in some other areas because the kind of confrontation they have is one lane of the cooperation, which is the sovereign dispute, the hegemonic dispute between two superpowers. Will they learn how to cooperate, how to live together, or they will 
uh, I always turn to confrontation. I think many people are convinced Macron is one of them. I think Biden is also one of them, but he cannot say that now because of the support for the China bashing. But uh, uh, I think that many realize that perhaps they will build up a modus vivendi. The relationship between China and the United States is not going to be decided by diplomats in a diplomatic conference. This is a daily issue which implies some steps in the direction of a cooperation, some steps in the direction of a confrontation. This will take time. The birth of a new superpower in history has provoked many, many conflicts, but sometimes also some convergences. Well, and indeed, and that's a good place to end. So thank you for both what you've been doing through the years and what you're going to do going forward. Brazil will come back, and hopefully you'll be part of that effort to, to make a difference in, in the future, not just of Brazil, but of Brazil and its allies. Thank you, Alan. I agree with you. And I, I also hope not only that the United States and Brazil will keep a very good relation, but that we both can keep our personal relationship for a long period of time also. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. Please rate our show on Apple Podcast and subscribe. Meanwhile, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter at talbergfoundation.org to learn more about our work. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org. Thank you, and we'll be back again next week for another episode of Talberg's New Thinking for a New World. This podcast was brought to you through the generous support of SNF, the Stavros Nyarkos Foundation. <laughs>